Hello? McFly. I've just um <clears throat> we've just agreed to pre- press record and I've taken that moment to take a giant mouthful of muffin. What sort of muffins are these that you've baked? Uh these are um yogurt banana and yogurt muffins with bits of strawberry in them. Uh these were my five year old is very into muffin making. She mm-hmm. likes to propose that we make muffins usually at the most incredibly stressed and difficult <laughs> time. She'll be like, let's make muffins. Like, oh, dear God. But the upshot is also that she's quite into it, so it does occupy her. So Excellent. But this morning I just had this full – just it's, it's a busy day. Uh, one of my other kids is unwell. Um, it's Everything is a bit full on uh, and we did muffins <laughs> foolishly uh, and then I got them, you know uh, – all more or less accurately into the little patty pan things and then realised, because she licked the bowl, which is her end game always, uh, and just went, oh, this doesn't taste very nice. Yeah, I forgot to put any sugar at all in them. Uh, no, I don't put that much sugar in, but it was just like, oh, uh, One of my early cooking memories is that I was desperate to cook chocolate fudge. You know, know. that you used to buy at school fates where it's it's almost oh. like the texture of sand oh, when you God, put it yeah. in your mouth. Beautiful. Shocking. Uh, and I remember I used to love that and I said to my nana one time, I want to make that so, you know, I can have it all the time. And I did it with salt instead of sugar. Oh, my, nice. My grave disappointment when that came out of the oven. Do you know what I cook from quite a bit? The free magazine that you get at Coles. I know. They have super – the recipes are very super easy and often yummy. Do you know what it makes me feel like though? It makes me feel upset for food magazines because I just think, crikey, that is a pretty comprehensive product and they just give it to you mm. with your um, – with, with your groceries, if you shop at Coles, which I'm not saying that either of us necessarily do. I'm not currently identifying where either of us shops for groceries. <laughs> this is in a way Just waiting to bag, bag that big Aldi product, sponsorship. <laughs> That's right, product, product placement. Slightly um, off brand. <laughs> Woohoo! Um, um, yeah, but I mean like we were, um, you know, photographing our new cookbook recently, me and Wendy, and um, in the photographic studio, which is like a a temple of food excellence because it's where you cook your dish and it looks sort of medium to shit as usual. And then a food stylist comes and just goes, what if I do this? And, blim, 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 and suddenly it looks amazing. Let's put a frangia patty on the plate. Oh, exactly. Fabulous. And some crumbs. Um, but, yeah, there was um, heaps of people in there making and photographing food for the Coles. Um, oh, were they? Cookbook right. and, yeah, anyway. And they're also well, bastards because every Halloween they put out this kind of, you know, amazing treats to make with your children and they're all like insanely complicated and kind of my children see it and then are oh. like, well, let's make that. Oh, let's I'm do thinking, this. Yeah, well, see, right, I, I generally that. find them quite easy. Like there was one the other week that I've made, you know, about four times already, which was chicken thighs that you bake in the oven, and it's basically you just marinate them just in a bit. Do not of... like the term chicken thighs. <laughs> I just, I don't want to eat the thighs of anything. I generally actually prefer to cook with a chicken breast than a thigh. Okay, now this rate. is getting really gross. <laughs> do you find that it's moister that meat? I'd rather of the touch, thigh or the I'd breast? rather touch a breast than a thigh. <sighs> I don't know why I prefer it. I just the thighs. There's something about the shape and the color of them. It just I find it a little off-putting. Anyway, um, well, this got weird. It did. The <laughs> recipe is sort of a bit of lime zest, bit of lime juice, bit of soy sauce, bit of honey, oh. bit of chili sauce. Right. Just bake it. Delicious. Um, but the current one was their Easter one. Yes, right. they do the themed ones. Yeah, I'm out. not picking that up because my children would be like, oh, let's make this well, there's a couple of complicated great, Easter biscuit. There's a couple of great no, ideas There's already in there. the Easter hat parade, which is actually pushing me into psychosis. Oh, God, Easter hat parade. It's really close to Harmony Day this year as well. Oh, God. 
dear God, I've got to find an orange shirt and make an imaginative hat out of toilet rolls. Um, they've got one recipe in there which is basically easy as you get some hot cross buns, let them go a couple of days so they're stale. You make breadcrumbs out of them. <laughs> breadcrumbs out of them effectively. Mix it with a bit of melted butter, stick it in the oven so crisp them up a bit. Mm. Mix it through a tub of vanilla ice cream, mm. stick it back in the freezer and then serve it with a bit of caramel sauce. Tell me that doesn't sound delicious. Okay, that sounds good. I've what about, do you remember the year that uh, I made hot cross bun bread and butter pudding? I hadn't heard that, but that is a very good thing to do. I and think I served it to you. Oh. <laughs> At Clive and Murphs one time oh, on yeah. Easter. Well, I've done it before, mate. I didn't find it very surprising or imaginative, frankly. That's a very old idea. <laughs> just trying to phrase this as politely as I can. You are an that ungrateful wretch. Like, hey, I tried this amazing thing the other I love day. love the word wretch. Toast. <laughs> it's just so, so, you know, normal bread, any kind of bread really, just do pop you, it in this like machine. Do you like the word wretch? <laughs> I do. I, I like it. it. It's a great word, I reckon. Mm. Hey, uh, I started reading the book you recommended in the last podcast, oh. they, they Know Not What They Do by UC What's His Chops. Yeah. Boring as what was what? It's so slow. No, it's not. And obvious, like okay, his, his office is getting vandalized. Oh yeah, it's going to be the sun you left behind hey, in Scandinavia. Got, it's so obvious. I got picked on at a party last night for giving away plots. Well, I'm not twists. giving it away because I don't know if that happens, but I just feel like we're heading in that general direction. Oh, I actually, I love this book, and really? I, I've okay. since finished it, and I found it really. I thought it was uh, action packed. I thought it um, explored. Lots of contemporary um, things that keep you up at night, like um, the Kids. remorseless advance of giant technology companies into our lives. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, you're not going to give this book enough time to actually get <laughs> oh, there. Well, I'm 25% of the way in. So, yeah, look, it's it's. I would just say it's okay. Yeah, oh, God. It's okay. Wow. We are like <laughs> I've dissed your buns and now you don't yeah. like my finished book. This is get, it will remain uh, unfinished. This could be the last episode of Chat 10 ever. It could end really badly. Oh, no, I'm still coming back for more. I just <laughs> I love right. the feel of a boot in my I'll, face. I'll be like, and another thing, Kohlrabi. What have you been going on about all this time? Another don't thing, I hate it. curly hair. Oh, jeez. Wow. Wow. Now, escalated um, fast, didn't it? Look, I still would advocate um, reading that book. What Do you know what it reminded me of? Um, the Finnish book, They Know Not What They Do. Um, it reminded me a little bit of one of my favourite old novels by Don DeLillo called White Noise. Which oh, yeah. Is this, okay, I've never read that yet. Um, it too has the same slightly it, – it, it's um, about – the relationship between a man and his wife and they are undergoing all of these strange external events and um, their children too are living through like there's a there's an unnamed toxic cloud that that sort of forms around their neighborhood and they have to um, they're getting these disembodied messages from the government and the authorities about how to respond look um it's too too complicated a plot to really properly recount here. Plus, I'm very frightened about being accused of giving anything away. But the thing that I loved about White Noise is that it heard from the children incredibly perceptively and um, not um, uh, not in any way patronisingly. Like the children come through as these really interesting characters. Mm. And this idea of this sort of poorly understood threat from, you know, modernity, um, in this case a sort of tech toxic cloud, some sort of company doing something terrible. And in the case of the Finnish novel, um, this sort of vast unnamed um, technology company, which is pretty much Apple. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, it's just it, it really articulated a lot of my anxieties about the, the modern age. So it like kept me up at night rather nicely. But I also thought that um, the relationships were very well developed as well. Anyway, I liked it. So don't listen to sales. Yeah, it's made um, me it's made me terrified about when my children hit teenage years. Oh, totally, yeah. So. But also, like, you know, I, it probably picks up a bit, you know. Um, I Does think, your eldest child have a phone, a smartphone? No. Right. Well, she's 11. Right. Um, she'd like one. Yeah. Yeah, it's, well, it's so scary, isn't it, all that But, stuff. I mean, you know, her um, public school that she goes to from – now almost I think year four is mandating a bring your own device policy. Like so they do a lot of work on tablets okay, and it's impossible to avoid because that's where the homework is. So you've got to – Oh, wow. I mean some of the homework programs are amazing, Um, particularly maths programs are really well designed and um, encourage, you know, their interest in doing maths problems and stuff like that. So that's great. But it's also – You've got that thing where, you know, your kid is sitting there looking at a tablet and yeah, you're thinking, you, well, like, you you just got to keep checking that that's what they're doing. Yeah, I was going to say, how do you stop them from roaming yeah. onto YouTube? Oh, Because yeah, my eight-year-old is just like, I'm doing some homework. Roblox, Roblox, Ro- oh. Roblox is this terrifying pr- platform where they play all sorts of different games and can contact each other, which is oh, man, <laughs> also awesome. It's just anyway. absolutely terrifying. Um what are I, you reading that's so great, smartass? <laughs> I haven't been reading anything. Oh, that's you what haven't I'm, been reading anything <laughs> except the book that I like that you didn't. You're just sitting around last time I with a plate of beer nuts waiting for me to finish something else so you can rip its guts out. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, I was thinking should I talk about something I like, but look, hell, while we're on this negative vent, uh, let me tell you about something else I read that I thought was a load of claptrap. 12 Rules for Living by Jordan Peterson. Oh, hello. Well, look, so my brother-in-law lives in Singapore, loved that book, and he's so excited to see you interview Jordan Peterson the other night. I can't wait to let him know that you thought it was shite. <laughs> look, it's – it's. I'm being harsh. Um, I bought it on his recommendation. I'm yet to read it, but I will. He He's a better speaker than he is writer. Right, okay. So it's, it's not a good piece of writing. But um, it's – look – and I should be fair by saying I am generally down on the self-help genre. Right. I don't. I don't like that genre. You're more the attacking others genre. <laughs> that's so right. we, that's I'm understood. More, I'm more into <laughs> the like. Although Jordan Peterson's sort of general message is one that I'm on board with, which is wake up to yourself, clean yourself up, get yourself sorted out, and just get on with business. That that's his basic message. The Dale sales credo. <laughs> he should have right. written a book. It should be a sales. Um, no, but it, to me, it's sort of weird because to me, it seems like sort of what I would call old-fashioned common sense, which is clean your room, stand up straight, do what you say you're going to do, like all of these sorts of... Sounds exhausting already. Take personal responsibility, um, stop acting like a victim. Don't sass me. Don't sass (laughs) me. I've told you not to sass me. Have some manners. Don't make me come back there. (laughs) Yeah, it's just all the stuff. It's all the sort of homespun wisdom that we all grew up with, dressed up with a bit of sort of pseudoscience to make it look sort of... Smart and revolutionary. Studies have shown that sitting up straight, etc. Yeah. Lobsters. If we look at the behaviour of lobsters, lobsters act in this sort of way. So it's lobsters have been waiting to become part of this debate for <laughs> as an exoskeletal character myself. <laughs> so look, I I didn't. I was sort of surprised. Like, why is it hitting such a nerve? But then I'm surprised by that with people like Tony Robbins, who I saw on the back of a bus the other day. Who you pay, you know, a bisquillion dollars to go to a two-day conference. Just to be clear, conference. you saw his picture on the back of a bus. I did. You didn't see him in the back no, of a bus. No, <laughs> his picture right. for some conference. Come to this thing for two days and your life will be turned around yeah. and transformed and stuff. I find all that stuff sort of mystifying. Uh, but 
there's obviously people love it and there's a market for it. And Jordan Peterson is a good communicator. Like he's a good speaker. He he does speak a lot of this stuff, you know, obviously it's just basic common sense. So um, when you interviewed yeah. him, was it a bit like sit up straight, mate? Like what, what was it <laughs> no, like? No, I just, I just asked him to explain. Was he one of those sort of like dripping to no, totally it was evangelical, totally, charismatic types. He was totally pleasant, although for some reason he comes across quite angry. He has this sort of angry vibe. Okay, he sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> but no, angry was, and naggy. Hey, that's actually also my maternal model, so I'm obviously doing yeah, something right. I should have really connected because we've, we've, we've got that in common. <laughs> um, no, he, he was perfectly pleasant. He speaks and communicates really well. He seems, you know, reasonable and all of the rest of it. I, I just got him to explain what's your basic premise here and what are you connecting Connecting into that, you know, you are because he's just obviously hitting a nerve. You know, he's the sort of current public intellectual yeah. du jour, and he's had like a real. He's been completely sold out in Australia. People yeah. are really sort of turning up to hear him speak. I don't know what the venues are. Are they like gigantic? Does it, venues? There was one in my backyard. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. He sold out the Glebe Public Library. No, no, he's, he's. I think he is selling out like proper venues. And the books, you know, it's on Amazon's bestseller list. It's on the New York yeah. Times bestseller list. Like he is doing, you know. I'd love to have Jordan Peterson's problem. He's going great. Um, so, yeah. Isn't it funny how sometimes things that are obvious, you, you know, if you dress them up and if you make a list as well, like yep. there's got to be 12 somethings or um, 11 somethings or whatever. Oh, 100%. Oh my God, yeah. that reminds me of I just listened the other day to I've had a bit of a dollop break for a little while, but I listened to their um, podcast. It's a double podcast on the life of Donald Trump. And look, you know those guys have a view about Trump, obviously, um, and but the the life story of the man told through the eyes of the the dollop people is just it's it's ferociously interesting and just jaw dropping. Just because wow, okay. to bring it all together, you know, you you routinely every day shocked and stunned by something that Trump has done or said. For example, but today sacking the Secretary of State via tweet. The guy got. Via tweet, Rex Tillerson. Oh Man, he would just be bounding out of there with his hat and coat, wouldn't he? He did get a like, phone call on Friday, though, from the chief of staff to say, "Look, just letting you know, you might get a tweet if, you, if your pass doesn't work." <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> that's right. If you're trying to swipe in on Monday, yeah. just yeah, take roll a with it. Anyway, sorry. Um, yeah. But to hear, you know, from his childhood and about his father and his father's background and the sorts of stuff that he pulled as a younger man, like to hear it packaged into about an hour 20 of audio is absolutely stunning. It's really oh, – Okay, it's, I must have a listen. Yeah. I haven't listened to and, a And a some of the stuff that, you know, um, popped up during the um, the presidential debates, you know, like about what they were their, – their policies about um, tenants in the buildings that they developed, you know, um, they had a policy against black renters or buyers in the buildings that they – I mean, like – it's extraordinary. Anyway, um, mm, it's it's good. it's really useful to hear that, and it's really entertaining as well. Although, obviously, you do want to drown yourself and your family after uh, <laughs> after listening to it, I listen <laughs> knowing to- that he's pretty much. <laughs> yeah, I listened to one episode of something that I uh, really enjoyed, which is a podcast that the ABC's done called um, "The Pineapple Project." Oh yeah, it's mm. about basically trying to educate uh, women about finances or, or probably people generally about finance. I'm not even sure why I viewed it as mostly for women, but I think it is. Anyway, um, the first episode was so interesting. It talked about how your you know, childhood often dictates your attitude towards money and it listed there's four different types of ways oh, yeah. that people tend to be with money. But one of the people they interviewed to illustrate this was Jerry Harvey, who oh, yeah. is mm-hmm. Harvey Norman. 
who's 78, he had a father who they were quite well off and then the family lost all the money and then they were really, really poor. And so they were living, you know, in a one-bedroom place, everyone having to share a room. And this experience is so seared on Jerry Harvey's mind that as a 78-year-old man worth between 3 to $4 billion, yep. he will not fly business class. He, hmm. um, you know, stays somewhere very ordinary. Um, if he's travelling, he'll stay somewhere that's 150 bucks a night, not 400 bucks a night, because he's still worried that one day it might all disappear. Yeah. It, w- it was absolutely fascinating. And, and um, the woman who hosts it, whose name escapes me, who's a f- very funny comedian and she does a great job hosting this, um, says, Jerry, what's the three or $4 billion for if you can't lie down yeah. flat when you're on a, like, long-haul flight? He's like, well, I just I don't want to be a silver tail and, you know, you just got to be careful with your money. It's so deeply ingrained in him, this experience of his father losing all of their money. doesn't seem to be that much of a problem for Donald Trump. Like no. <laughs> expenditure-wise. Well, that's probably because he grew up in a richer although, family so or that didn't lose their money or whatever. So. Yeah, although he went bankrupt, so, you know. Um, but, I mean, all of his – I mean, uh, a significant proportion of his money seems to have been imaginary. Um, right. Because it's all about deals, right? And that, that's what's interesting about this podcast is about um, basically – making all of these deals and kind of extending and leveraging what yeah. you have. So like the the net worth is actually weirdly yeah. nebulous. So there's this great story in there about Donald's got this, um, you know, $150 million yacht or whatever it's worth, a lot. And um, he owes, you know, $80 million to the bank because – which he, and he's not paying – it off like he's just not paying this seems to be a constant oh, theme it's like he'll have like all of these hundreds of uh laborers working on a building and he'll just say well actually i'm not paying you guys oh, and then they're like well i really want i really want to be paid well i'm going to sue you like so that's what the tactics are but with this boat um the bank's like well could you please pay us and he's like well uh actually i can't also um there's a huge insurance premium due on the boat, which I also can't pay. Uh, so can you give me some money to pay the insurance premium on the boat? And the bank's like, ah, no, because actually uh, you still owe us so much money for the boat itself. And his approach is, his response is, well, okay, uh, in which case you effectively own the boat. So if it burns down, it's more your loss than mine. So give me the money. And they're like, oh, okay. Oh, man, I alive. Know. And so it's very not Jordan Peterson, is it? Like, you know, Pick up, take responsibility for your own whatever. Look, you know, maybe Donald Trump would benefit from reading a bit of Jordan Peterson, (laughs) taking a bit of responsibility and acting like a grown-up. Have a cheeseburger and sit back with Jordan Peterson. Can I talk a little bit about Queer Eye? of course you can. That everyone's talking about at the moment. So the current season of Queer Eye, which I think is season five, I've never watched any of the previous seasons. Right. The only reason I watched it is because everybody's been talking about it. Right. Queer Eye is a show where there's five gay guys who go and they help sort of zhuzh somebody up to make their life sort of look a bit yep. better. Um, the refreshing thing the about it. The original long title was Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, right? Yeah, now yep. they'll do anyone, I think. Yep. Um, so the thing I like about it is. Um, the five guys are all really lovely and they're each quite different and they have their own sort of unique backstories and their own area of expertise. Right, okay. So one's good at interior design, one's um, good at hair. Yeah. Um, one I was going to say is good at cooking, but every time he suggests something, there's a couple of episodes when he's like, we're going to make a lovely entree. Let's slice some avocado. Let's slice some grapefruit. 
there you go. <laughs> the next episode he's at a guy's place. I'm going to teach you how to do a grilled cheese sandwich. <laughs> it's like, but anyway, fine. What I Amazing. like about it is that they they don't try to, they don't say you need to lose 10 kilos and let's get you a bit of Botox or whatever. They just go, this is who you are, this is what you look like, but we just want you to look like your best self. So right. we're going to teach okay. you how to dress for your body shape. Right, and- so why is everyone talking about this? It's been going for years, this show. Because um, they have managed in this season, I think, having not seen the other seasons, what they've done is um, sort of introduced, I guess, a note of it's not social commentary, but it's giving you insight in some of the episodes into certain social issues in a not banging you over the head sort right, of okay. way. So um, there's one episode where the guy they're queer-eyeing is um, a policeman in the south of the US. Oh, okay. One of the guys is black, um, one of the queer-eye guys. And he is sort of, you know, they the producers stage this thing on the way where the car full of the queer-eye guys gets pulled over by a policeman and you, the black guy's driving and he you see him viscerally tense up and like, I know how right. this is going to go. Yeah. This isn't going to be good. He says later on in the episode that his own son is scared about getting a driver's license because he feels that it's a dangerous thing to do. Um, anyway, they have, he and the guy they're fixing up are alone in the car at one point and they have a conversation about this issue. Mm. And the policeman's saying, he, the, the queer eye guy explains it from his perspective. The policeman says, yeah, well, I also hate being lumped in as just a racist, a trigger happy racist yeah. basically. And so they have this really open discussion about a really difficult issue in a way that I thought was just really productive and, and engaging and interesting. There's another episode where there's a young How guy. How interesting because, like, you would, you would often see, you know, representatives of those groups brought onto um, panel shows to, like, fight this out in a kind of – in a platform that is preordained for this argument. How interesting to have that discussion as an ancillary to a show that's about, you know, pimping your lounge room or whatever. Absolutely. And done not in a confrontational way and not to maximise the conflict, but done in a very quiet way to just see is there some common ground here. Um, It was excellent. Then um, there's another one where there's a young guy who is out as gay in his personal life but not with his family. His father has died um, and he's very close with his stepmother and he's really nervous about telling her that he's gay but he feels like he wants to. But he's also not comfortable with – he doesn't want to be – all the time when they're styling him, he's like, I don't want to look gay. And they sort of say to him, look, you know – You've got this stereotype in your head of what you think being gay is like. Look at this. Look at this guy who's one of the queer eye guys. Yeah. He doesn't dress gay. He doesn't look. You know, you don't have to wear rainbow coloured pants and yeah. whatnot. You just, you know, just dress for what suits you. Yeah. And so they're very sort of good at just being practical and breaking down people's sort yeah, of misconceptions right. and making people feel comfortable. And then this guy invites his stepmom around to a party at his house, and then he comes out to her on camera, private, not in front of the um party. I was going to say privately, but there is a camera yeah, on them. Yeah, apart from me. <laughs> um, but it's really affecting and, and just to see somebody, like the difficulty of that to just come and show your true self to someone that you're close to that you're worried about. And she, of course, you know, is is lovely and very accepting and stuff. But every episode has a little very um, authentic human note in it that you feel hmm. connected with. There's another one where there's a guy from Indian background one of the Queer Eye guys is from Pakistani background and so he says to this guy, I know where you're coming from because my mother is the same sort of mother as what you've got and so I know she's very judgy and I get this and so. Oh, God, I thought you were going to say they were going to like sit down and discuss the India-Pakistani bilateral 
difficulties. <laughs> no. no, but he's just like he gets where the guy's coming from culturally yeah. and so he's able yeah, yeah. to sort of help him relax a bit more and to feel like he really gets where this guy's coming from and why he wants to look a certain way and why his house has yeah. been a certain way and all of that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's – I mean, I'm making it sound more earnest than it is. It's actually also just hilarious yeah. and entertaining. Um, all five of the guys who host it are – I said to a mate of mine the other day, who's your favourite? And he said – whichever one's on screen and that is so true when he said it I thought oh, that's so true because you do you think oh I love that guy and then he's gone and the next one comes oh he's the best actually he's my favorite so yeah it's it's uh it's a good show it's like a show that's just sort of fun and trash but it's got like this little bit of extra depth to it sounds like Taylor made for you love it absolutely I've um, been watching the first season of Unreal um oh, yeah. because my friend Joe um said like she's smashing through season three and lots of people talking about season three and I'd never seen season one. Um, and um, I'd always meant to watch it because the central protagonist has a really uncanny physical resemblance to our director, Stamatia. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, my God, she really does. Um, but uh, I can't say. Chatters, hello, Lee Sales here. Uh, sorry about that abrupt ending. I've got a little confession to make. I uh, was controlling the equipment and I hadn't deleted all of the previous recordings from it and so we just ran out of space. But then I didn't have the instruction manual with me and I couldn't work out how to create more space without deleting what we had just recorded. Um, fortunately for me, the recording cut out when Annabelle Crabb was finally having a turn. So, look, it didn't bother me that much. But, of course, Crabb was incensed uh so she's now she had to go on a flight to Adelaide it's, it's the next day and uh I'm going to call her I've got both microphones in my hand and I'm going to call her and see if I can get her on speakerphone and hold the microphone up to the speaker on my phone what could possibly go wrong oh my god I'm in the bowels of the Adelaide ABC building before you go on, you're being recorded. Oh, good. All right. Well, this sounds entirely legal. <laughs> this is this is to make up for me um, fluffing up our recording yesterday and you not being able to uh, finish your story. Oh, this is the bit where you maliciously hit stop recording at the end of your interesting points well, and we missed all of mine. I, in the preamble I just recorded before calling you, I did point out to the chatters that I wasn't fussed at all because I'd pretty much got through everything I wanted to talk about. <laughs> But the, but the look like of incandescent, <laughs> the look of incandescent rage on your face was quite something to behold. <laughs> so um, I was being I, so interesting. I mean, it'd be just like trying to get Pavarotti to redo a perfect aria. <laughs> <laughs> so um, have you got a second now? Oh yes, it's all right. I'm sure the democratic event in South Australia can wait. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I, – look, I can't no, what be – what was I saying? Well, I can't be entirely certain when the recording cut out, but I think you were about to hold forth on the television show Unreal. Oh, right, because you were talking about um, Queer Eye, right? And That's right. I um, – because my friend Joe recently was all about that, oh, my God, you've got to watch the third uh, season of Unreal, which is this um, series uh, – I can't remember, is it Netflix? It must be Netflix um, – which is – uh, it's kind of like behind the scenes of a reality TV show, which is pretty much The Bachelor, but it's been rebadged. Uh, it's, it's called Everlasting, but it's got the same bullshit with, you know, handing over roses and, you know, gaggles of 
suggestible young women lounging about trying to entrap some you know man with an IQ of 50. I believe I believe in the bit that maybe didn't get recorded yesterday you used a term like lightly inflated field of bosoms or something like that. Oh, yeah. I really must ask you to be my memoirist at some point. <laughs> or perhaps it was field of lightly inflated bosoms. A, a field of lightly inflated bosoms. Yes, that's pretty much what's going on. Um, anyway, and then as Joe was kind of carrying on about how great season three was, which is just happening, um, I sort of shyly confessed that I hadn't even seen season one. And she said, oh, season one's awesome. Anyway, uh, so I have watched some bits of season one. Um, I don't know. Like, I thought, okay, this is going to be a, um, you know, a gritty behind-the-scenes-y sort of drama about, you know, t- lightly ripping the piss out of this sort of um, reality format. But it's sort of weird because it, it, it kind of becomes – an incredibly soapy soap of its own. And you get to a point where you think, are you, is this actually being facetious at all? I don't know. It seems to be just an extension of the concept. Uh, like, okay. all the cast members are leaping in and out of bed with each other and stuff. Not that I'm, you know, against that. I just think, oh, it doesn't seem to be, it seems to be reflecting that which it critiques rather um, too closely for my, I don't know. I, I just, anyway, the, the characters, they are great characters. Like the principal character is this woman called Rachel um, and she is the sort of uh, slightly drunk, slightly crazy but very talented reality show producer who's, who's before the series starts had some sort of, you know, meltdown and is coming back on set because she's so very good at it, although everybody now is sort of watching her and thinks she's a bit of a loon. And she has just broken up with the chief cameraman um, as well, so there's that tension. And her boss, the executive producer, is um, uh, the actress uh, Constance Zimmer, uh, who was in House of Cards um, as uh, as one of the journalists in the early first season. Uh-huh. Anyway, um, and she's a great character because she's sort of like hard as nails. She's kind of merciless. She's absolutely, um, absolutely grasping for dramatic moments in this sort of ridiculous mansion that they're all living and working in. Anyway, it's look, it's entertaining and it's kind of popcorn. But I don't know. I just I keep thinking it's about to make a point and then it never does. Really, um, look, you fairly comprehensively put me off. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I think also because um, my friend Joe always makes like brilliant recommendations, so I may have ratcheted it up to be, you know, absolutely incredible. Um, so, and I don't know, like if I'm going to go for a, a a spoof on a on a TV format, you know, I'll go and watch back episodes of Frontline, um, or I'll go and watch my dusty DVDs of the Larry Sanders show, which to me is almost, you know the greatest television ever made and certainly the greatest um, spoof of a um, of a behind-the-scenes TV format. I mean, that show was just brilliant. Um, hey, did, it, did you see Jane Kennedy did an interview this week where she didn't rule out them bringing I the front know, line back? I know. I did see that. And I, you were the first person that I thought of because I thought, oh, there'll be a happy little squeak from sales here. <laughs> Do you reckon me and but you could orchestrate a cameo in it? Oh, well, now that you've mentioned it, this is just the part of the beginning of your campaign. <laughs> you're going to announce it as you accept your Logie. <laughs> That's right. Hi, working dog people. If you're looking for someone for a cameo for the new season of Frontline, look no further. <laughs> um, all right. Well, what, it, so what are you actually how's your, how's your doing? How's the Logie campaign going, by the way? How's the what going? 
your how's your Logie campaign going? Oh God! See, and I'm snapping at your heels. <laughs> Somebody actually pointed out because I said on the Facebook group, "Hey, sales and I are both, you know." admittedly long 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 listed um and uh then somebody actually pointed out that we're actually up against each other so it's pretty much war i think now (laughs) absolutely all of a sudden i'm taking this thing really really seriously um the so what what exactly are you doing right now i am i am in the company of the great anthony green pacing out our places and uh, twiddling with our software in advance of the South Australian uh, election, mm. um, which is in two days' time. I've, I've arrived early so that we can do all of our rehearsals and so that I can continue tearfully rote learning the details of 47 state electorates in South Australia. Um, <sighs> weirdly enough, the last time I was in the ABC building in South Australia, you know, doing an election broadcast, although I wasn't actually on screen on that that time I was sort of observing because I worked for the um, newspaper, was 20 years ago, 1997, which was the night that Nick Xenophon first got elected. Wow. And also, do you know what freaked me out the most in that sentence when you said 1997, which was 20 years ago? I know. For real. For reals. Um, All right. Well, I better let you get back to your rote learning and your handling Anthony Green software. And sobbing. And I'm just like, (laughs) Anthony's doing a bit of sobbing as well. My God, it's so good. It's basically peak green that's happening right here because there's um, not only are there three-way contests in a whole bunch of seats, thanks to Nick Xenophon and his interfering gang of kids, but also, I'm sorry, meddling gang of kids. But also, um, there's been this like massive uh, electoral redistribution. So <laughs> all the electorates have changed, and the boundaries have changed. And there's a heap of Labor MPs who are actually now in Liberal seats. And oh my god, it's hilarious! It's peak green. It's you, so good. You know how people say um, nobody's irreplaceable. I'm yeah, call- that's irreplaceable. Oh, yeah, I'm yeah. calling Anthony Green as the exception to the rule. There. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get his bottle of water and then just get some DNA off it and then just send it to a guy I know who can rebuild people. <laughs> After the last federal election, I asked Eric, who's the EP of our election coverage, I said, I, you know, just now feel really anxious at the prospect of, like, what if something ever happens to Anthony Green? And Eric said, don't worry, you'll be gone long before Anthony. <laughs> well, that is true, probably, but uh, it still keeps me up at night. <laughs> totally. Absolutely. Then I was like, no, seriously, what if something happens to Anthony? And he was like, look, he's a pretty healthy guy. He does a lot of cycling. He's young. <laughs> Clearly, I'm not the first person to have raised this concern. Oh, no, I think it's a commonly raised issue. <laughs> um, all right, Toots, well, good luck. I'll be watching you on okay. telly and hoping you're not digitally penetrated by a Thank bar you graph. very much. Uh, yeah, and I really hope that you, in solidarity, don't go to the toilet for six hours. <laughs> I'll, I'll uh, go and get some Depends ready now. <laughs> <laughs> that a girl. All okay, right, catch you ya. later. Bye.